0: Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name is Rich, uh, the host around these parts. So glad that you've decided to tune in. I know there's a lot going on. In your church this week today we've got John Morrison with us now. Now John's a little bit of a different uh, guest. As you're going to listen in, you're going to be rewarded for uh, for tuning in uh, today. John's a friend; he's a fellow Canadian. Welcome to the show, John.
2: Thanks so much, Rich. It's great to be on this side of the podcast. I've been listening for a long time now, and it's great to be a guest now. So hopefully, I can add value to your listeners some way with telling my story a bit.
1: No, it's great. So for folks that don't know, I uh, was born and raised in kind of central Canada, around Toronto. Um, John is from the West Coast. Uh, everybody at this part of the world just you know feels jealous of them. So- Uh, happy to have you here, but now John, a lot of people that come on the show, they tell these amazing stories about their own personal transformation about, you know, like I'm, I was leading a church of four people and before I knew it, it was a church of 4,000 like, or, um, we raised a bunch of money and did this amazing thing. John actually has an interesting story, uh, that I'm hoping he'll tell. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a personal story around his own ministry journey. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about that, John, if you could tell us kind of what has brought you to the season that you're in now.
2: Well, hey, that's a great uh, question, and one I'd happily tell. But I also want to say that I love those rags-to-riches stories because they encourage me so much. It's great to know that those things happen, and uh, and many of my f- friends have had the opportunity to do that. I thought we were doing that at this one church that I was at the last assignment. We saw uh, great growth in a church that was over 100 years old, and I thought, you know, we were putting chapters together to write a book about how to take over an established church and lead it into the 21st century. And I was very encouraged by some of the growth that we saw. Uh, New people coming, baptisms uh, regularly. We saw debt being paid off. And then there was a a bit of a vacuum in our leadership. My executive pastor uh, got a promotion to a a different place, so the the district office, I guess you could call it. And that created a bit of a power vacuum in the sense that I was in a teaching pastor, executive pastor model, so a co-leadership. And then we decided, and I recommended my own basically layoff in that I said, hey, I think we should go to a lead pastor model because uh, I think it's more efficient. I had lots of reasons why I think the traditional model does work a little better. And the board said, yeah, we totally agree with you. In fact, we were thinking the same thing. And I was thinking because we had all this – uh, success and you know we're building up lots of momentum and excitement and there was a buzz in the church. I thought for sure that I would be the guy to be right. honest with you. And then my life literally fell apart in one meeting when I heard the words uh, search committee, mm. and I knew that at that, that point my uh, my season was over. And mm. I mean I I was thinking, did I overreact to this? Is this really uh, happening? You know, we had a. a my wife was pregnant. Uh, it was Christmas was coming. I thought for sure it wasn't, but uh, hmm. yeah, I, I realized that um, they thought I was too young to be the leader. While they liked who I was, they said it wasn't about character or sin. It was about uh, basically me being too young to lead a church of that's been over a hundred years old. So hmm. that was very disheartening and yet i see that out of it god has uh used that time that i had i had i got a a generous severance package which was great Hmm. we had another baby our second second baby there so with a toddler around and a newborn it was great to have some time away and i also had lots of time to to think who am i as a as a young leader in the Hmm. church how can i still contribute Hmm. so it was never a matter of you know all bitter about the church uh it was actually about you know what can i contribute going forward from here how can i um how can I re-engage myself as a thirty-something leader in the church? So
1: there's a long answer to a short question. No, and no, that's good. Ask. You know, was the was the sense not that I want to lean in on your pain too much, but what <laughs> was the idea like that there was there seemed to be consensus like, hey, we're happy with John doing what he's doing when there was someone in that executive pastor role, but once that escaped, um, then it was like, whoa, wait a second, this we're we're just not sure that that's really a winning solution.
2: Yeah, and in fairness to the board, they had to make a very tough decision, and mm-hmm. so I understand that maybe they were looking for a different skill set to to lead a church that was multi generational. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, their decision uh, resulted in in uh, in me, you know, not, not having a job anymore. So wow. uh, we had to we had to make a tough decision in response to that to say, you know what, it seems like the writing's on the wall for us here, and so we had to make the tough decision to say, maybe God has something else. And so we had to leave you know, really close friends that we had and, and now just seeking God to see what's yeah. next. But I still always wanna tell the story with a, the positive angle mm-hmm. and that out of this, God has really allowed me to spend time with my family, which I value a great deal. Mm-hmm. He's allowed me to rethink some of the stuff that we'll probably talk about here. Mm-hmm. And so that I can add something with a fresh voice to a mm-hmm. conversation that I think needs to happen in the church Mm -hmm. about how to engage with my generation, the millennial generation.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Why don't we jump into that? You know, I think the, um, obviously, outside of this pastoring role, you've also, you know, you've been a blogger, an author, you've written at least one book, I think maybe two, um, yeah. Now. Yeah. And so, you know, you sit in an interesting position to kind of sit back and say, what are the kind of trends that you're noticing in, um, you know, the broader church context? What are the things you're thinking about or you're thinking we should be thinking about from your seat?
2: Right. Well, I mean, I think a lot of your listeners would be familiar with George Barna's recent book, The State of Pastors, where they uh, released the Barna Research Group, which has been really eye opening and humbling for us. Uh, who grew up in the church and who are leaders in the church to see that across North America, uh, pastors are getting older. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of conflicts with the current uh, population trends in North America, which say that the millennial generation is now the largest generation out there, and yet we are uh, grossly underrepresented in church leadership. Mm -hmm. So I think in the workforce today, one in three uh, workers is a millennial. And that's, of course, someone born between 1980 and 2000, depending on where you draw the line. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a kind of a consensus age there. Mm -hmm. So one in three in the workforce is a millennial, which is probably scary to a lot of employers. But (laughs) I I still think millennials bring a lot to the table. uh, But we can get into that if you want. But only one in seven pastors are under 40 in a church. And so, I mean, whatever you want to interpret with that stat, I'm sure many opinions will be out there. But it's just interesting to see that you know if if we are serious about passing the baton on to the next generation, then we have to be willing to take risks on. Uh, I mean, I'll just make it personal. Leaders like me, who mm-hmm. yes, have many faults and and don't see the whole picture, but need to learn to be able to grow mm-hmm. and and take the leadership. So uh, I hope that out of my pain in saying having people look at me and say, no, you're too young, I can say, well, actually, you know, maybe I can raise up an army of. Of young people who can help uh, lead the church into the, the next wave, and then maybe even instill confidence in some uh, Gen Xers or baby boomers that you know millennials can can do a good job. We're not like the media portrays us to be, which is like <laughs> lazy, narcissistic. I mean, we are those things, but we're also a lot of other good things too. Right, right. I just think it's funny that every time you see uh, something in the news about millennials, it's always negative, right? Like I right. saw this. I saw this one question on it. It was a headline It said, "Why are millennials so obsessed with food?" I was like, well, I think probably because we need to eat. Yeah, because you want to get food. It does help food. keep us alive, and so we like to, <laughs> we like food. I enjoy food myself. Nice. Uh, but anyways, I'm just thinking, uh, trying to rethink how uh, we can uh, build up trust. And so one person told me a mentor, uh, kind of took me under his wing for a bit. You know, when we were in a real hurting section and, of life, and said, you know, it would be very easy for you to take revenge out on this, on mm. these people. You know, maybe a couple of board members that you didn't get along with that had it out for you or whatever, mm-hmm. but he said, the best revenge is a life well lived. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that is that is so what Paul said to Timothy too, right? Do not mm-hmm. let anyone look down on you because you're a young, mm-hmm. but set an example, right? And mm-hmm. the way you live your life and how mm-hmm. you talk and how you have your faith with God. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, mean that, I don't know how that was advice because I've been reading 1 Timothy for my whole life, right? right. And I love that verse about do not let anyone... Mm-hmm look down on you because you are young and so it's right there and so i think if i can set an help set an example in some ways you know even someone that's been say quote burned by the church i mean i learned that in seminary mm-hmm. about how you're going to have a tough experience at some point things are going to go uh awry for you at one point everyone's going to have a scar to bear every mm-hmm. pastor will carry that at one point i had mine early mm-hmm. uh, I learned that, but then to actually have to go through it and to say, I still love the church. I still believe it's the hope of the world. I still mm-hmm. believe that lost people matter to God and that church mm-hmm. is his greatest vehicle to reach them. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Church camp too, right? We're both camp guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I understand. Camp sure helps, but... Church is working with camps.
1: Oh uh, no, absolutely, yeah. The local there's nothing like the local church for sure by by any means when it's done well. That most definitely. Why don't you give you know uh, so funny personal anecdote and all this? I was born in 1974. I'm a Gen Xer. 1974 has the dubious um, distinction of being the lowest birth rate year of the 20th century. So. Um I actually Oh interesting. In the, I did not know that. The smallest. Yep, the smallest. So I was never in a portable um as, you know, throughout school had small class sizes um wow. and and a lot of times I just don't run into other leaders who are my age. So um as a Gen Xer,
2: So you're a minority rich. You live uh, sure, as a minority for sure. your whole life. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Um so, you know, why would you say what why would you say that there is hesitancy from or or why is that trend that um, you know, so few uh, pastors or teachers so are led by uh, folks that are millennials. Why is that?
2: Oh, I mean, that's that's a long conversation. But I think a few things is, uh, you know, if we, if we do believe what the media says about millennials, then, you know, they can't get off their phones. They show up late to work. They uh, are addicted to uh, porn and their social media and, and themselves and everything, right? But um, I think probably... One of the biggest things that that they represent a threat sometimes. I mean, I, I listen to some of my pastor friends who are a bit older, longer in the tooth, mm-hmm. and they don't even know how to what to do with social media. Right? It seems like everything has changed. Mm-hmm. And I would think that you know that's kind of what like the taxi drivers feel about Uber, and that's mm-hmm. what Christian bookstore owners feel about Amazon. And mm-hmm. all these things have been disrupted by this huge revolution in communication and how mm-hmm. people engage and how. They uh, what what they expect and and the church to think that we're immune from it, it would be totally naive.
1: Mm-hmm, so
2: mm-hmm. while some churches I think can get along just fine, saying you know what we're not going to uh, we're we're going to kind of hunker down and we're not going to do social media we're not going to get engaged in all that. I think they see it as a threat, and mm-hmm. so anybody who represents that that's comfortable with it, you know, they kind of represent social media because they're young and they they are always on their phones too, you know and so I think you know maybe maybe I probably don't do it justice either too because I, I embrace these new technologies mm-hmm. so quickly and it, I'm comfortable with them. It's kind of the air that I've breathed through mm-hmm. those formative years of my twenties, right? Like mm-hmm. that's when the rise of social media happens. So because I'm so comfortable with it, maybe I represent a threat to some older leaders or whatever, and and people like me. But I just think it's funny, Rich, that you know, like all these new technologies were always made fun of, right? If you watch right. Downton Abbey and you see the phone come out, and the butler just cannot figure out yes. the phone. Right? He right. just hates the phone. He's like, "This thing will never catch on." Same with electricity. Mm-hmm. And then you look at when like Twitter came out, and YouTube came out, and Facebook came out. They all got made fun of mm-hmm. until they were completely normal, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. I think millennials, you know, we get made fun of, and and I, like I said, rightly so for many things. But
1: mm-hmm. soon we are going to be the the ones that have to take over totally well and even just just this week i was reading um i I actually don't think it was launched this week i think i was a week behind on it but the new york times um started doing uh snapchat stories and i and i i commented online i was like that is that that is a tipping point somewhere in for that particular platform you know when when it when a a literally kind of old school, it doesn't really get much more stayed than the New York Times. And the New York Times says, hmm, I think we need to, and I, so I was digging into it a little bit and they actually have six full-time people employed on that one um, application just on repurposing for, um, and it, it's interesting, you should actually, it's, it's well worth checking out. They clearly are trying to, I think what they're trying to do is to draw people from Snapchat into their current, you know, into their other brands. And they're trying to repackage their content to appeal to a younger generation, which is even, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably not even millennials they're thinking about, but um, it's probably even younger than that. But you know, we I think we have to stay on the cutting edge. We have to keep asking that question: How do we um, continue to reach that next generation? Let's say you're, you know, listening in and. You know, there's uh, leaders from maybe, you know, one of those 40-something, 50-something leaders who's kind of caught in the middle. Ironically, I run into a lot of leaders in their 60s and even 70s who are like, I'm willing to try whatever because they've seen so much change. But there's something about – I've got a friend of mine that's a couple years older than me who will remain nameless who is so stodgy. He's like mid-40s and he like acts like he's, you know – 75 years old um, and he's like resistant to all this why what would your advice be to him let's say he actually comes around and says "Ah, oh, you know what maybe we need to we do need to do a few things to try to uh, you know kind of um, be a bit more open to reaching uh, you know millennials what would you suggest
2: yeah I think that's a great uh, first you know caveat to say look this isn't just a not all people are the same age just because we we uh, label somebody a millennial because they're 1980 to 2000 I think that People are people, right? We right. know that they're loved and made by God, valued by Him, that mm-hmm. the, they are fallen, and so they're going to be distracted by things that are secondary loves, like, you know, they'll, they'll love technology, or they'll mm-hmm. love people more than God, and we'll love other things with all of our heart rather than God. So I get that, and maybe just one example before we get into that is, mm-hmm. I was at a I was at a family gathering just a few weeks ago, and I looked around the room, there was about 20 people there. And it was the the boomers in the room that were on their phones. And the millennials (laughs) were were, uh, correcting them, saying, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. No phones during family time. This is precious (laughs) time here, and so it's so funny to think, you know what? Some of these issues are actually universal across, not just not just one thing. So when I say like, you know, here's how we can reach millennials. I don't even know if millennials know how to reach millennials exactly, because we're so different. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I heard our friend Kerry Newhoff once say, Mm -hmm. you know, if you bring a bunch of millennials around the dinner table and you start talking to them about what do they what are they looking for in church? Uh, if you have 10 millennials around the table you'll get 12 different answers right and so I (laughs) can only give my perspective of what has helped me totally and so I would just say a few things like hey you know what address I mean I'm an apologetics guy Mm -hmm. I only became that because uh, I I was being asked lots of questions as a youth pastor and young adults pastor and Mm -hmm. I was being asked these philosophical questions that I had never dealt with in, in Bible school right I learned how to preach uh, from Romans, and I learned different theories on who wrote the book of Hebrews, and those were all great to learn, but I never learned anything about how does Christianity work with science, and working with a philosophical angle to the problem of suffering and evil. Mm. Uh, Things like, you know, how do you deal with the book of Genesis 1, or sorry, chapter of Genesis 1. So it's just really important things that are are deal breakers for a lot of people, whether they be inside or outside the church, but Mm -hmm. knowing that there's an uh, opportunity to just give a little apologetics angle. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, May the 4th was just yesterday for us, Mm -hmm. and so, uh, you know, we don't all have to be a Jedi in apologetics or what we call a (laughs) Jedi, Yes, but we do have to know something about what could the skeptic be thinking about this message that I'm giving here? And what is the person who's struggling with doubt, right? Maybe they are they grew up in the church, they're card-carrying believers, you know, helping out in your youth ministry, but you don't know what they were just, that video that they just saw on YouTube or something mm-hmm. that's totally mm-hmm. throwing their faith into question just the night mm-hmm. before.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you don't know some of the stuff that they've been working through in their classroom at university mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. So just to say like, hey, you know, maybe you're wondering if this event ever happened, or if this is credible, what I'm saying here, like, let's consider different perspectives. And then just, I mean, Tim Keller, pastor in New York, does that so well, where he just mm-hmm. kind of addresses the skeptic or addresses the doubter. Mm-hmm. And I just think to think that everybody's just going to uh, blindly believe everything that we say because we have the authority in the pulpit is just too naive when especially reaching millennials, because, uh, yeah, I just think we're, there's, there's a lot of skeptics and doubters that we're engaging with and that we have in our own hearts. Mm-hmm. And just Fourth thing before my long diatribe uh, wraps up here, (laughs) I think uh, when I was a youth pastor and I was getting asked these questions uh, from sincere skeptics and doubters, when I didn't have an answer for those things, they became uh, like it would like be like a cancer in my soul that would Mm. slowly eat up my vibrancy, my boldness, my my trust in God. So when we get asked the question, I mean, that's one thing to be talking to somebody that Jesus died for and that God loves, that he wants to -hmm. to reach, but to actually realize that not having an answer affects us so much. Right. Right. And so it erodes our confidence in our faith. So as an apologetics guy, that's just one thing that Mm -hmm. I would take. I mean, I again talk forever Mm -hmm. about having an online community and Mm -hmm. uh, and the importance of a real life community, taking advantage of uh, new opportunities and technologies, not being afraid of it. But Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just... Rest there in the apologetics answer and say that would be one of the, my, my hope for pastors is that they would realize that, you know, people are asking really tough questions inside and outside the church and we have to love them enough to always be ready mm-hmm. to give a reason for the hope we have in Jesus.
1: Are there people, uh, are there pastors that you look to or communicators you look to that you think are doing a... Cause there, there are, um, we had Jay Warner Wallace, friend of mine on, um, you know, he's an apologetics guy. Great guy. For sure. Um, does it is, he has an amazing apologetics ministry. Does a lot of, does a lot of great things. He ends up becoming like a special, like a guest speaker at a lot of churches. Are yeah. there are there church leaders out there who you think Tim Keller you mentioned does a good job yep. kind of integrating that into the normal fabric of what he does? Are there other folks that you would suggest that do a good job at kind of kind of weaving that into their ministry?
2: Well, you know what, like I mean, if I mention names, I think so, so many people know names better than better than I do. Do you know who the true heroes are? It would be more like the youth pastors out there mm-hmm. because the youth pastors are dealing with high school students, right? And, I mean, high schools have totally, uh, well, I maybe mean, I shouldn't say totally, I mean, uh, Canada's an interesting thing where we've been secular for a while now. Mm-hmm. But high schools can be a very hostile environment for mm-hmm. the Christian mm-hmm. and uh, a place where skepticism just grows uh, vibrant, you know. So uh, youth mm-hmm. pastors are the ones who are calling me often, who are maybe mm-hmm. even buying my books, or ordering and saying, hey, I, I've, I'm going to do a topic say uh, I'm, I'm talking about suffering or something and I need to talk to, or or maybe even I'm I'm talking through Job or I'm talking through James chapter one where it talks mm-hmm. about counter all joy when you experience trials of many kinds and I want to do something on suffering because this is the number one question my kids are asking how could God be good in light of all this so the heroes to me are the youth pastors mm-hmm. and the young adults, guys Definitely. out there who are integrating this stuff because they they have to keep their kids interested mm. and uh, keep them listening and if they don't address, you know, what the questions that they're asking, those kids will pick up their phones or tune out or not come or go to sports or do anything else other than come to youth group that night. So it's really the youth pastors rich that are really mm-hmm. impressing me because they're realizing they need to do this if they're going to actually be relevant to the stuff that their kids are working through and and i mean university students would be the same as well so any young adults group out there and if you want names i could give you a, a few but i mean it's it's really the the those who are trying to connect with the younger generations that are really getting this and yeah, only totally. because they, like me see the need for it so bad right yeah
1: absolutely uh, for a long time i served with a still a good friend of mine Bruxy cavi at the meeting house in, in toronto who every sunday they do um, open forum q and a at the end of his messages and right, so, i know that what's that that's so important. You're right. Like yeah. Just to
2: realize that people are going to have questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And having uh, Pinch hit a couple times there um, and they do Q&A, even their guest communicators do Q&A. I know what it does for me when I like if we're honest, what, sometimes when we preach, it's like we've got this all into a nice little neat package but like, right. if we're honest, there's this one part of it that we just kind of gloss over rhetorically. Right, um, right. And we're kind of hoping no one asks us a question about it. But the thing that that just, um, and I've heard him say this, that it just oh, the fact that he knows that people can ask questions <laughs> forces right. his teaching into a spot where it's like, I'm going to have to address that. Or if if I'm not, if I don't address it, I've at least got to... Make sure I've got an answer so when someone asks a question, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, to answer that. Uh,
2: yeah. And sure. how many times have I closed in prayer at the end of a sermon and said, well, that's all that I know about that particular topic.
1: Yes. <laughs> right? right, 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 right. Absolutely. And so I
2: just hope nobody asked me about it. But again, I mean, even even just acknowledging that you, you don't know everything as a leader, like to be authentic uh, and to say, look, that's a great question. You know, why don't we look into this or why don't you look into it, encouraging them, pointing them in the right direction. Right. I think that's another thing about reaching millennials. It's okay to be human. Right. Right. And it's okay to admit that you make mistakes too and to lay that out there before them. I mean, not to hang out your dirty laundry all the time, but I think people appreciate authenticity. And that's probably no surprise to many of us. Cool.
1: Now, um, you're an author as well. You've written on some of these uh, these topics. I wonder if you could kind of talk us through some of that. Tell me about, um, you know, if you have a book, uh, Clear Minds and Dirty Feet. It's a great title. Uh, well, t- t- tell us about that.
2: Yeah. So that book uh, came out of an experience that I had. Again, it'll probably build off my story is I was getting asked all these questions and didn't know the answers to them. And that actually sent me to have to Resign uh, from my job. I was in a growing young adults ministry called Ethos in, in Coquitlam on the west coast of Canada there. And it was going really well and I, lots of, again, lots of momentum. We were having a lot of fun, but I found that I was woefully equipped for doing ministry. So my buddy, uh, Andy Steiger, was starting a ministry called Apologetics Canada and he needed to do a, a conference. that, And we held the conference there. And in the first year, we were expecting like 100, 200 people. Whatever we got, seven hundred Canadians to, in the you know the Great Pagan North to come out <laughs> to an apologetics conference. Right, right. And right. I thought, oh my goodness, there's a huge market for this in Canada. Wow. And then I looked at the speakers, and they were all Americans. Right. And I thought, wow, like our Canadian apologetics defense is a lot like our Canadian military defense and that we just rely <laughs> on the Americans. And we're in trouble. Yes, right, right, right. So I was asking the question, you know, who's who's training up leaders for for this uh, important issue of, mm-hmm. of giving, helping people have an answer to these really tough questions that mm-hmm. they're asking inside and outside the church. So I had to resign. I had to sell everything, my car. I had a motorcycle even at that point. I had to sell that, everything to get tuition to go to this really cool program at Oxford University where I got the chance to study for a year mm-hmm. under really uh, amazing uh, names like Alistair McGrath, John Lennox, Ravi Zacharias came and visited us. And it was just a, a fantastic year. I, I left that uh, and went to Biola University to finish off a master's in apologetics mm-hmm. and all that to say uh, that, that was important for me to is really establish myself like okay i'm I'm confident in these questions. I know it and now I can give to others and mm-hmm. so I had you know people giving me scholarship money, my local mm-hmm. church had given me. Money and this was just a way to say, you know, here's a thank you. And I so I wrote the book Clear Minds, Dirty Feet with just answers to questions like, hey, how do we make sense of uh, Christianity and and science? How did that conversation go? Mm -hmm. Evidence for God's existence, how did why did good God allow suffering and evil? One Mm -hmm. top one chapter on the philosophical answer, but another question, another uh, topic on or sorry, chapter on when someone actually is suffering, right? So mm. C.S. Lewis writes The Problem of Pain, and it's a philosophical treatise on why God allows suffering and evil, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he loses his wife, Joy, to cancer, the love of his life, right. and he's a complete wreck. And mm-hmm. so uh, the answer that you give to somebody going through both, th- you know, in a, in a philosophy classroom is a lot different than you go with someone who just so lost a love in and it. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, looking at uh, those kinds of things, and, and then I was able to present that to the world, or to mm. my mom my grandma, as <laughs> a so thank you uh, to, uh, for all that has been invested in my life. So Clear Minds and Dirty Feet is kind of like my apologetics treatise yep. which I'm happy to, uh, yeah, to, to
1: hawk because I think it's just full of stuff that other people have taught me that I know mm. I'm happy to pass on. Cool. And then you're just releasing a new book here called Life Hacks. Why don't you give us a quick, quick kind of overview of that and uh, then we'll move on with the rest of the episode. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to talk
2: about that. Mm -hmm. When I was a youth pastor, I I wrote a book to give as a gift to my grads. I was single and had lots of time and was ambitious, but also I was more just like unhappy, to say the least, about the caliber of books that you can give to grad Mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. I mean, like 101 Bible Promises for grads. None of my grads I knew were going to read that. And just some, even the stuff that I would give them wasn't written for young adults, you know, right. just this, this is a great book, but they're not going right. to, it's We're not dressing So I wrote Life Hacks uh, with them in mind, but then as I was kind of letting other people read it, you know, adults would say, hey, this was really helpful for me, this one mm. chapter here, or, uh, you know, and then I, I talk about uh, the church or whatever, and how you need mm-hmm. to love the church. And they said, oh, I, I really appreciated that. And this guy was like retired. Mm. So it happened to a bigger audience. So I didn't call it like, a gift for grads. I called it Life Hacks just because mm. it's something all of us need to know mm-hmm. as we navigate through discipleship in the 21st century. So I rewrote it, and now seven years after the fact, I'm uh, rebranding it, re-releasing it, and I think it's it should be helpful for a lot of people. So cool. yeah, Life Hacks is a, a fun little project that I've enjoyed working on in this season when I've had to kind of
0: you know reimagine what ministry in my mm-hmm.
1: country
2: mm-hmm.
0: looks like. This is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary.
1: Well, we're going to jump into the lightning round, that part of the episode where we ask similar questions of everybody that's on the show. Today, we want to ask uh, John Morrison. We're just so ha- glad to have you on the show today. John, what is an online resource that you're using these days that's helping you out? Well, one thing that's
2: really helped me is I've had to uh, re- redo my blog. So I've been blogging since 2006, got in it early and you know, made all the mistakes of writing too much, too long. And I mean everything. And so I've had to learn, but I've, I've re-released it with a new platform that has been really helpful for me. It, mm-hmm. it was I used it as a pastor. It's called ChurchOS. It's mm-hmm. a, a web platform, but I've used it as my own personal blog. And the reason why I was able to do that is because my brother is actually the owner of the company. He <laughs> <laughs> so was able to redo it for me. Nice. And so I, I really love that. Um, my wife got me some podcasting gear for my birthday. I nice. asked for it. My birthday is not for four months from now, <laughs> but I asked for an early birthday present because I wanted to... Start that. So I've been learning, uh, you know, about GarageBand. So a preacher using GarageBand is kind of interesting. <laughs> That's been helpful for me. And then all my books I release through a great bit of software that you know, Rich, mm-hmm. called uh, CreateSpace. Mm-hmm. And CreateSpace is just Amazon's way to to self-publish. So mm-hmm. I've created a publishing company through mm-hmm. my friend's ministry, Apologetics Canada, mm-hmm. and so we just create uh, Canadian resources for Canadians that mm-hmm. otherwise couldn't. Uh, you know, I mean not Like the Zonder vans of the world are going to necessarily look at little minnows like me <laughs> in, yeah. in Vancouver. So, nice. Anyway, that's, uh, that's what I've been using, and it's been very helpful for me. Those online resources, on top of all the other ones that you know, all your guests mentioned, like the Evernote's and the right, 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 right stuff like that. Yeah. So, so,
1: that's what I thought it would help me was yeah, those tools. That's cool. What's a book you've read in the last six months that's uh, shaping your thinking or ministry? Yeah, I had a uh,
2: necessary endings by Hen- mm. Henry Cloud, Henry yeah, obviously given what I talked about in the beginning of of my uh, ministry at the last church kind of fa- falling apart so quickly. I had to realize like some things are mm-hmm. good. So we start up a lot of things, but when you start up something you need to put something to an end. Mm-hmm. And so Necessary Endings was very helpful for me. Also, I've just been loving these two non-Christian guys, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, mm-hmm. he wrote Ask Gary Vee, and I was listening to a lot of Christian podcast leaders that I respect a great deal, and they kept talking about this Gary V guy, Gary Vee, and I was <laughs> just like, why don't I just listen to him, and then I'll yes. skip, whatever. So <laughs> I, he's got a bit of a potty mouth. I call him the potty mouth prophet, yeah. but I've just been so, uh, uh, I've learned a ton from him. Mm-hmm. He's just an entrepreneur a lot, and, uh, and a guy named Pat Flynn, who mm-hmm. many people who've started a podcast kind of use him. As the way to uh, learn what not to do and what mm-hmm. to do, and he recommends all kinds of stuff for setting up a business. But I use him a lot for creating my podcast, the John Morrison podcast. So Nice, that's,
1: yeah, that's great. What's another ministry you're looking to that's inspiring you these days? You know, you should really say other than on seminary.
2: Uh, right? Oh, great, great, great! That's now I, I got to send
1: you twenty I, bucks.
2: Well, it's just so important, right? Like, I mean, you are the guy to help leaders like me and uh, you know Canadians, but Americans as well. I know a lot of your listeners are American, but you're the guy that helps us with stuff that we didn't learn in in Bible school, right? Mm-hmm. So, what a great supplementary ministry to the stuff that we're, uh, you know, that we'd learned about theology and you know how to navigate your your way around church life or whatever. But, anyways, Unseemly is huge. Been huge for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Kerry Newhoff's podcast. He's a great Canadian leader I've sure appreciated him and then the stuff the doors that he opened for me like like your podcast as well. Mm-hmm. And there's another Canadian guy named uh, Brady Shearer. He has a uh, or a ministry called Pro Church Tools. It's mm-hmm. more of a business, I guess. Mm-hmm. But man, what a huge resource he is for mm-hmm. church leaders. A great new technology that he's got coming out or new software I should say this nucleus thing that I've been following along. So mm-hmm. there's just so much great stuff out there and I'm happy to contribute in some way in my own life but it it inspires me when guys like you and guys like Mm -hmm. carrie newhoff brady Shearer, canadian guys that i respect a lot andy steiger out of apologetics canada Mm -hmm. when they're doing this stuff i think man i could do this too you know Mm -hmm. like totally wide open and the opportunities are all there for anybody that has some kind of ambition to do something so love the resources that are coming out and, and ministries that god is using
1: Cool. Well, we're going to have to jump to the last question, which is, in your personal life, when you're just looking to have fun, you want to kick back, relax, what, uh, what do you do for fun?
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, I told you I just had a newborn. Uh, <laughs> so I sleep. So. I try to nap as much as I can. <laughs> little Gracie was born a couple of months ago, and we're just yes. finally getting to that stage where she's sleeping a little more. I have a, a really gracious wife who's happy to take her uh, nice. a little bit more. But I also have a toddler so you know when you have a second kid and the toddler comes along dad has to step up a little more yep. you can't just hand her, hand the newborn to the mom anymore you have a toddler <laughs> running around right but uh, nice. yeah I mean I play hockey too I love to play hockey I was a goalie for many years until I was about 20 and then God called me to ministry but nice. uh, I yeah I love to play pickup hockey and then I work in the yard I just love yard work I think as a pastor yard work is like therapy for me because the grass does what you want, right? Yeah. It. <laughs> it's true. You put the seeds in, you water it and it grows, you know. And right. so it's hard to do yard work as a as a Vancouverite. I don't know. You you maybe some people don't know what the weather's like in the yes. in Vancouver. I always say that it rained twice this year, twenty-eight days the first time and then thirty four days the second time. It rained. <laughs> we had a ton of rain, so I was out in the yard yesterday thinking about you asking me this question. I was like mm. I love yard work. This is like play for me. So, nice. anyway, that's good. That's how boring good. is that for an answer? But that's just no, no, up. that's great. That's Life.
1: wonderful. No, I'm it's funny because I my wife really loves. Yard work, and so over the years I've been a reluctant helper to her. But actually, I, w- I was just saying with her this spring that actually I think that's changed. Actually, I think I do enjoy it. It's fun. It is fun to see, and it's I love painting and it, like wall painting. Like you know, here's a wall painted oh, one so color. Oh, rewarding, right? And it's that same thing. It's like I've always said to people, I'm like I love it because it's like you start at the beginning of the day, and then at the end of the yeah. day you're done, which not a lot of stuff in ministry has that feel to it. So exactly, and
2: everything looks different.
1: Right. Exactly. So John, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that or, or you know, check up with your books and all that? What's the best way for them to plug in?
2: Yeah, I'm happy to contact uh, anybody or connect with anybody. I have a, my own website that I talked about. It's JohnMorson.ca. It was a gift from my brother back in 2006 and it's mm-hmm. continued on. And then there's a contact area there. You can just reach out to me mm-hmm. that way and I'd be happy to answer any questions or uh, you know, take any ad- advice or encouragement or anything so that's the, probably the best way to do mm-hmm. it the easiest way um and otherwise uh you know the, on twitter i'm john morrison underscore and always looking to make a new facebook friend so you can reach out to me that way too so
1: very cool well thanks so much appreciate you being on the show today
2: thanks Rachel. it was a real pleasure and uh, like i said great to be on this side of of the podcast so <laughs> happy to help in any way
0: appreciate that john have a great day yeah thank you Bye.